I would like you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. We're going to begin to read in just a moment with the 14th verse of the 19th chapter. I appreciate your prayers for me. You've been praying for me for over 35 years. And that's quite an accomplishment. I could never have made it this far without your prayers. And the Lord is able. We're trusting him in that. I sincerely appreciate your prayers. I don't feel comfortable talking to you about some of the things I'm having to do for my physical well-being, but there's nothing serious just very painful and it'll all pass. So we've been through this before and we just trusted the Lord again. He always comes through. I guess that's a place for me to say amen and you'd agree. What this means is pray for Evelyn because every man likes to be babied especially when he's hurting. <laughs> so she's a wonderful nurse, a wonderful nurse. I'm going to England, God willing, in about eight days. And it is a very adventuresome trip, seeing all the places where God's allowed us to work and just trusting the Lord in all of this. I'm not fretful about it. I'm very excited about the trip. Got all the help in the world. And so all is on, everything is go. We praise the Lord for that. I never knew when I was a young man, never even thought when I was a young man that I would have people in the position you're in, praying for my physical well-being and some of the things I'm going through. But it's just another thing God's allowed in my life to teach me some things that help me recognize my inability and his ability. And I've got glorious, wonderful people helping me. And they are just always always reaching out a helping hand. And I feel energized in the work God's given me to do to pastor this church because of their energy and help. Sometime if you could understand all the help we do have, it'd be an amazing thing to try to comprehend it. And all of the ministries, the extensions, the Sunday schools, I said earlier in the day, over 16,000 people enrolled in our Sunday schools and um, 48 school Bible clubs. Now we've just added five more and that's in the 50s and we're going after all 57 of the elementary schools. Already we have the 48 schools of the middle school and high school. 
We had over 40 nursing homes and full staff in those senior citizens' homes. All the Bible clubs. The first hour, the second hour, the third hour, and the global Sunday school. It takes a lot of people. And we have a lot of wonderful people who have put their hands to the plow. They've done a great job. That encourages me. We have a trained staff of workers who visit every hospital every day and are on call for any emergency outside of all of that. God led us years and years and years ago to develop a working church. And if you're part of the workforce and Many of you are. It's a grand thing that we're all working on this together. The schools, the school, the elementary school, the middle school, the high school, all the academy, functioning wonderfully, college, the seminary, all fully staffed. God is working providing the laborers for all of that. We have 130 schools of the Bible across America and around the world, all staffed. God's working on that with hundreds of people every week hearing the word of God. And I'm so thankful for it, so thankful. We support over 200 missionary families from our church. Working hard at all of that. And I'm saying these things <clears throat> because sometimes you look at me and think, well, what can the poor man do now? Well, I, hey, I just have a great time with all these people working around me and helping me in every way. And my heart is in it. I've asked God for four miracle years. I want us to understand what that is. That's years where God himself breaks through and does what men on their own effort cannot accomplish. And we're seeing that. We give God the glory for it. Someone just handed me a $10,000 offering today for our 10 million in me. And uh, that's a far piece from 10 million, but we're working at it. It's a good thing when God sends you those special showers of blessings to let you know that people are with it and they're so excited about what the Lord's doing. You have your Bible open to 2 Kings and chapter 19. The wall of Jerusalem is filled with strange people. Invaders have come. They're being led by the army of Sennacherib and the vicious and vile Assyrians he leads to destroy the people of God. They come to the wall and begin to speak blasphemous things about the Lord and the Lord's people. If you read the full account, they're rehearsing in the eyes and ears 
of the Jews in Jerusalem, all they've already accomplished, their victories, and that no nation and no gods can stand against them. They're mocking the God of heaven and earth. They're speaking blasphemous things about the only true and living God, and he listens to them and recounts through his prophet and others that he has heard their words and there's a price to pay. Now with this scene changing quickly and the people hearing the blasphemous things coming from the Assyrian army and every victory the Assyrian army has gained is being put in the face of these Jews in Jerusalem. One place, they're told not to answer them, not to respond to them, but to pray and let God work. A letter from Sennacherib has been delivered to the king and from the king it's gone to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah said unto them in the sixth verse of the 19th chapter, thus shall ye say to your master, thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. It's always the responsibility of God's men prophets to speak up. They don't always speak up. May God give us a holy boldness. Charged with the Holy Spirit to speak the truth. He says, behold, I will send a blast upon him and he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now that's a word from God through God's prophet Isaiah. It's given a long time before it happens. It doesn't come immediately. but We're going to see it come immediately. When you are told to have faith in God, to rely on the Lord, to trust the Lord, begins to work on your heart and mind and you're anchoring your faith in God. God moving forth with that action and delivering you and aiding you in whatever help you need may be forthcoming sometimes sooner than later, sometimes later than sooner. But when God says it, going to happen and so things get in such an uproar the people of God get desperate and so Reb Shaken in verse 8 who is one of the leaders among Sennacherib's army and the Syrian people returned and found the king of Assyria 
warring against Lebanon. For he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And when he heard say of Tirkaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come out to fight against thee. He sent messengers again unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee. Now think about what language. Saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. So the heated part of this battle is intensifying. And the enemy army is saying, don't spread a lie to your people that God's going to come through for you. When you listen to the devil and the devil's messengers, you're liable to hear anything. But God is going to come through. The Bible says, Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. Shalt thou be delivered? Making mockery of God's people. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? Gozen, Haran, Rizpeth, and the children of Eden, which were in Elazar. Where is the king of Hamath, and the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sepharvarin, of Hena? Ivan. These are questions coming from the enemy. And now Hezekiah, the king, speaks. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord. Spread it before the Lord. Now I want you to notice carefully. This is such a fierce thing happening. The enemies are at the wall. They're at the gates of the city. They're standing at the wall speaking these blasphemous things. And the king of the Jews takes the letter that's been sent with all the threats to the house of God. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which delivereth, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. 
open, Lord, thine eyes and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and the lands. In other words, everything they're saying is true. The enemy is on the rampage. What they're saying they've done and accomplished, they've actually done and accomplished. And have cast their gods into the fire. There were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, wherefore they have destroyed them. We get to the 19th verse of the 19th chapter. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God. I'm preaching to you on the prayer of desperation. The prayer of desperation. The desperation is obvious. All around them, people are falling to their powers. Now in their boldness, they've led the army of the Assyrians, led by Sennacherib, to Jerusalem. And they dare to go to the gates and the walls of Jerusalem and shout the most blasphemous things about the only true and living God and about God's people in the ears of those people. The threatenings. All that's going on. The fear, no doubt, that seizes the people And then to back up all that they're saying, they have the evidence at hand about what they've already accomplished. The northern kingdom of Israel has already fallen. It's their intent now to take Jerusalem and destroy the southern kingdom. And so... King Hezekiah is a specially prepared man. He's already declared his boldness and courageous activity by when he became king, tearing down the high altars where people had worshipped the wrong gods. Even doing something as daring as taking the brazen serpent that was used in the day of Moses to deliver the people of Israel from the poisonous snake bites and actually daring not only to take it but to break it in pieces and say we're never going to worship this and turn to things like this again and give it a name Nahushtan which as far as I know means it is actually nothing and God used that in the life of the king to lead his people. God's always preparing people for the battle, even though they don't know the battle is coming. 
God is always speaking to people in his church, in a church like this, helping them to become strong. Even when that, in that moment, they don't have to be strong. But the challenge is coming. And when it comes, it might be the most severe thing you've ever dealt with. So I emphasize again, I'm speaking on, on the prayer of desperation. How does a person get desperate in prayer? Like the woman in the New Testament who had an issue of blood for 12 years and couldn't get better, only got worse, rushed through a crowd, didn't care what anybody thought, broke through the lines, finally got to the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus because her desperation drove her there. There are other incidences like that in the word of God where people not only prayed and sought the Lord, but they got desperate about it. Have you ever been in desperate prayer with a loved one, a child, a situation in your home or church? It was no longer take it or leave it. You couldn't ignore it. It had to be dealt with. It was in your face. It was inescapable. Well, collectively and nationally, that's what these people were doing. The enemy was at the gate. Every unimaginable thing that might come to mind was taking place. Death threats to the severest note were giving out to the people. They already had come to the conclusion the baby is in the birth canal and it's not going to get through. We're not going to live. They'd already come to the conclusion, if God doesn't break through, if the Lord's hand is not lifted for us, we're gone. And that's what we're trying to think about. God does say, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Now, every one of us who knows anything about the Lord and his word would say, God is able to do that. But when do we get desperate enough to do that kind of praying? As things are mounting in our world, Evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. And you hear the repercussions of that kind of thing from the news of schools and media. Some people even say, how bad can it get? I didn't think it could get any worse, and it did. Where's the tipping point going to be? Where we are not just praying, Praying the prayer of desperation. It is not take it or leave it. That passed a long time ago. It's not a matter of choosing yes or no. 
They're not option number one, option number two, option number three. Someone said, we've gone past the crossroads, way down the road. Something must be done. So where and when will God's people get desperate in the situation? Because the situation is desperate. It seems only discerning people really discern just how bad things are. Now you don't have any question marks in your mind when you're looking at this scene. God paints it. As a matter of fact, all God wants to do with his people, all God has planned with his people, all God has prophesied for his people is going to be cut off. God doesn't break through. And we're facing not only a time of desperation, but a prayer of desperation. Let me ask you a question. Why does God put something like this in the Bible? Why does God paint a scene, a scene like this with the enemy overriding the people of God, destroying one country, one people after another, right up to the gate of Jerusalem, shouting the most blasphemous things imaginable. We've taken everybody else. Why could you ever even think we couldn't take you? We've defeated all our enemies and they're missing something. They're missing something because It's an attack upon God and God's people. Is the Lord going to do nothing for his name's sake and for his people? What do we really mean by desperation? Can God be backed in a corner? Can he? I dare say there's not one of us that hasn't had some negative talking going on in our homes, among our loved ones, about the situation in our land. And that's why I want to bring you to this, just to show you that God's still alive. And he's still able to hear our prayers and answer his people. If you write down things, you may write down something like this. The situation is desperate but it doesn't appear that God's people have gotten desperate about it. We can still seem to take it or leave it, but the Lord is working to bring us to the point where you can't take it or leave it. Some action has to be taken, and it's a prayer action. It's a prayer of desperation we need. It's a prayer to God that we need. So we've just read this prayer of desperation. Oh, Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. In other words, Lord, do something that only you can do. And the reason we want you to do it is not for us. It's for your namesake and for your glory. 
What has to move in your heart? What has to press you far enough to say, Lord, it's not even for me. It's not even the deliverance that we need from the enemies at hand at the wall and the blasphemous things they say. If you knew and I knew all the things that are truly going on against God, against God's people, against the name of God and against God's word, we'd be horrified. Sometimes God reveals a little of it to us and the testing comes. Does it disturb us because we don't like it? Or are we deeply disturbed because it's a reproach to the name of our God? blasphemous things said about the Lord and his dear son, our Savior. Is God not ready to act against that? Have we found we're on the Lord's side? Perhaps more importantly, is he on our side? What will bring us to the point of desperate prayer? Desperate prayer. Is it an illness sometimes? Is the news some doctor carries to you when examinations have been made and he tells you that your loved one doesn't have a hope in this world for healing unless there's some divine intervention? So the Lord takes us step by step. The Assyrian army flexing their muscles they think as far as they're concerned, there's nothing they cannot do if they want to do it. There's nothing they can't take if they want to take it. And God's man cries out to the Lord in a prayer of desperation. I read it again, verse 19 of chapter 19. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of, the, out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. It sounds so much like David's prayer when he went down to face Goliath. And the Bible says, when he got down in the midst of it, in the valley of Elah, in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. He said in verse 46, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day in the, under the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. For the Lord's glory, this is going to be done. Don't you believe as a child of God that God is yearning to break through through the lives of his people and to prove that he's more powerful than everything else in this world? I do. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
devil has no power equal to God's power. So, as God's people pray in this situation, as they call on the remnant, there's always a remnant. Verse 30, and the remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. They that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there nor come before it with shield nor cast a bank about it. By the way that he came by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city saith the Lord for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And I want you to read the most amazing thing. In the next verse, the 35th verse of chapter 19. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. 185,000 soldiers by one angel put to death. And God's people delivered. God answered the prayer of desperation. I wonder how many miracles we would be seeing in our lives, in our ministry, in our homes, with our children, with our grandchildren, with our workers. How many miracles from Almighty God we would be seeing if we were just brought to the prayer of desperation. Where the Lord would answer and do what only God himself can do. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're asking God to do. And that's what we believe with faith that God can do.